I want to take you on a little journey. But it's not over the river and through the woods to Grandma's house. Instead, it's a little journey I want us to take not to another place just in geography, but it's another trip I want us to take even through time. And it's a journey that we're going to take that as we make our stops along the way is going to be a journey that's one of joy. But what's odd about this journey is that at different stops along the way, you're going to wonder why we're traveling to the places we are. Because you see, at different times, different stops along the way, you're going to think that these things don't have anything to do with joy. They don't have anything to do with, with that. How could you possibly be taking us to these places to show us joy? But we want to think about how we as Christians should be people of joy. And so I want you to take this trip with me this morning. And maybe you're not one who likes to travel all that much. If that's you then you're really going to like stop number one on our journey. Because stop number one on our journey is right here. Wasn't that difficult? Didn't even have to pack a bag. We're not even going back in time yet. We're going to think about where we are. Because just as you would go on a, a regular trip and you would take stock of where you currently are, maybe to pack, to get things ready, we need to start right where we are today. But this is more than just a stop to load some things up on, a, on some sort of time machine. This is literally our first stop. We want to think about where we are. When we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, is one of the first words we think of joy. When I think of my own Christian life, it's one of the first words I think of to describe it, joy. Is that something that I hold right at the very top of what it means to be who I am, where I am, and the life that I am, I am living? Now before you try to jump ahead of me in this lesson, let me say this. This is not the kind of sermon that's designed to shame us into having joy because that won't work. If, if it comes across as trying to shame someone into having joy, then I've completely failed. Instead, I want us just all to take this journey together and consider our own lives. Consider our life and see, is it one that, that really has that no matter what else might be going on? Because you know as well as I do that we live in times that seem to want to rob us of Christian joy. That want to hold those things against us. But we remember that nothing is new under the sun. Solomon told us that in the book of Ecclesiastes. That people who have been faithful to God all throughout the ages have had those people as well as situations that have tried to rob them of their joy. This is nothing new. The names may have changed. The, the external circumstances may have changed. But what's going on really has not changed. Those who are faithful have always faced that. We may have different technologies. We may wear different clothes. But people are just people. And as long as there are people, there are going to be those who are faithful. And there are going to be those who are trying to rob the faithful of their joy. That's why we're taking this journey. Before we depart from here, I want to ask, what is it in your life? What is it in your life that, that's trying to rob you of your joy? Maybe a better question is, what is it that's threatening to steal your joy? What is it of an external nature that, that you struggle with trying to hold on to that Christian joy in your life? What is it that keeps you even from singing with joy? when we come together to worship. Now before we depart on our next stop, 
I need to make one note for our journey, just like you might have a travel guide who reminds you of some things on your trip. I, I, I want to serve that purpose this morning and remind you of something. I just remember, since we're going somewhere else, I need to think of the language that they would use. Because, you see, where we live, we very often exchange the words happiness and joy, but where we're going, those two words cannot be exchanged. You see, happiness is something that comes and goes all the time. It waxes and wanes, and many of you have legitimate reasons to not be happy right now. We're not talking this morning about happiness. All sorts of external circumstances can keep us from being happy in the moment or happy for a particular day or a particular season of life. But we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. And the trip we're taking, the people we're going to see, would not mix up those two things. We want to think about joy. So hop on the time machine with me. And I want you to travel back in time with me to consider the idea of joy. Our next stop is found many, many years ago. In fact, it's found about 650 B.C. And it's in the part of the world that was then called Judah. Sometimes in your Bible you'll see it described as the southern kingdom. But the the nation of Judah. And if you want a little map of where we're going, you can turn in your Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk. And you're going, that's in the Bible? It's there, I promise. It's one of those little books near the end of the Old Testament. And I want you to turn there. I want you to read these words for yourself. Don't just take my word for this, because I want you to see what was going on all the way back then, 650 years before Christ came, and see if it doesn't sound somewhat familiar. Because as the book of Habakkuk opens near the end of your Old Testament, we see that this man, who was a prophet of God, was seeing a lot of problems around him, external stuff. And in fact, he was so down that he even wondered, was God seeing these things? He basically opens the book by saying, God, I see all these issues around me. Do you see these things? In fact, I want you, as we're on our journey, to look at him. And I want you to hear his words in chapter 1. Read with me verses 2 through 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Are you hearing what this man is saying 650 years before Christ? Are you hearing his words? It it may not be the exact way we would talk. But if they had had television back then, or if they had had the internet back then, Habakkuk might have simply said this, God, have you seen the news lately? It's all bad news. There is nothing going on, it seems like, that's good news. All I ever see is, is negative. And by the way, if you want to realize just how negative things were for, were for Habakkuk, remember who he's talking about. He's talking about God's people. He's talking about his own nation of Judah. He's saying this is going on among the people who are supposed to be your people, God. That's just how negative the circumstances of Habakkuk were. This is nothing more than bad news. And God answers. We won't take the time to read all of God's answer, but if you want to read it for yourself, it's found in verses 5-11. through And God sort of throws a monkey wrench into Habakkuk's thinking. Because what Habakkuk thinks is, God's going to step in and take care of all the problems. And what God responds with is, you're right, Habakkuk, things are not good, but I've got it taken care of. I'm raising up the Chaldeans to take care of that. Now, you and I would know that from our history classes better as the Babylonians. 
wait a second. Things aren't good. God's people aren't being good, but uh, did you just say the Babylonians, the Chaldeans? They're idolatrous. They don't even believe in the one God of heaven. God, how could you possibly say, that's who I'm using in order to bring justice or bring punishment or take care of or purge or whatever words you want to use? These people, yeah, things were bad, but how could it possibly get worse? And God just gave the worst news. Everything is working against Habakkuk. Now, so far in this journey, you're thinking, um, I think you've got the wrong sermon title. How could this possibly be a journey? Why would you take us here to see a journey of joy? Everything in those first 11 verses of Habakkuk chapter 1, and by the way, the verses beyond, everything, it seems, is bad. Everything external that Habakkuk knows is going against him. But there's something found in chapter 2 that begins to shed light. In the midst of all of that negativity, all of that bad news, God is still looking for people to bless. There is one verse, one phrase actually, in Habakkuk chapter 2 that you and I know better because it's quoted at least three times in the New Testament and we know it there. But knowing where it comes from is going to shed some light on it for us. Notice with the Habakkuk 2, starting in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Well, what is it? What is Habakkuk supposed to write? Verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within, within him, but, but the righteous one shall live by his faith. Your translation in front of you may say something like this. But the righteous shall live by faith. Or, but the just shall live by faith. What's what's God saying to Habakkuk? What's He telling them? He is not saying, Habakkuk, you've got it all wrong. It's actually all good news. He doesn't say that. Instead, He is saying that the righteous one, in the midst of all of this bad news, will continue to live by faith, and God is saying, I know that. I see when the righteous continue to live by their faith, when everything in the news, everything externally, seems to be going negatively. Now, before we leave this ancient time and make our next stop, I want you to fast forward in the book of Habakkuk just a little bit. Because as you've seen, everything it seems is working negatively against Habakkuk. It's all bad news. He's not happy. There's no way to deny that he's, he's not happy. But upon being reminded that God is ultimately in control and that God still sees the righteous acts done by His people, Habakkuk does something very interesting in what we know as the third chapter of that book. He prays a long prayer, one of the longer prayers of, of the Old Testament. It's a very poetic prayer. And it's odd that he prays a lot about the wrath of God. Not something you and I usually spend our time praying about. But what he's really thinking about is not just the wrath of God, but that God really is in control. But then notice how Habakkuk ends that prayer. In chapter 3, read with me starting in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. It's still bad news. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Still bad news. 
The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, still bad news. Yet I will, what's the next word in your Bible? I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord. I wonder where Paul got his inspiration for Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. And then Habakkuk writes that prayer, and at the conclusion of it, or at least the final part of it, he says this was for some ancient choir master and was to be sung. Maybe he meant the entire prayer, chapter 3, or maybe he meant those three verses that we just read. This is something that was to be sung. What was to be sung? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God. Even when everything else seems to be working against me, even when everything else external seems to be negative, Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to realize that God still sees when I live by faith, and I'm going to sing about that with all the joy I've got. Pack your bags. It's time to come back towards our time, but not all the way to our time. We're going to come across time, if you will. We're going to cross over from the B.C.s to the A.D.s. We don't have to travel far in geography. In fact, Habakkuk may have been in the city of Jerusalem. We know he was in Judah. He may have been in the city of Jerusalem. We don't know. But now we're going to be in the city of Jerusalem. And we're going to come across to the year 65, or thereabouts, about the year 65 A.D., And since obviously that's after the time of of Jesus Christ, we're going to consider a group of people, not just one individual, but they're the same kind of people that that you and I are. They are Christians. They're meeting together. And we're going to meet with them on the first day of the week. We find out more about these people we're talking about in the book we read a few minutes ago, the book of Hebrews. And I want you to turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. I'll meet you there in just a moment. As, as the name of the book implies, these were people who had been Jews and now they are Christians. You read through the book of Hebrews, that's impossible to miss. If these are people who had been Jews, now they've been converted to Jesus Christ, but not everything is going well for them. They're being made fun of. They're being persecuted. Some of that seemingly is coming from the Jews that they had left. Why don't you just come back? Some of it, it seems, comes from outside forces. We might just say secular forces. They're persecuting them in some way. And they're being tempted, if you read the book of Hebrews very carefully, they're being tempted to say, I didn't sign up for this. I'm going to go back to the ways of Judaism. It wasn't easy, but it was better than this. At least I wasn't just being made fun of all the time. I have everything going against me. And you've probably heard it said many times before, That if you read through the book of Hebrews, the key word really is the word better. It's not everything is happy. But think about what you had under Judaism and Christ is better. He's a better lawgiver than Moses. He's a better priest than Aaron. He has a better tabernacle, the church. He has a better law or covenant, the new covenant. He has a better home, heaven, and on and on and on and on it goes to the book. And there are some who suggest, I'm one of them, but there are some who suggest that the book of Hebrews was originally a sermon. That basically, someone, the preacher or a guest speaker or someone, came in and tried to put some wind in the sails of these Christians and say, look, it wasn't awful under Judaism, but look at what you have now. But never in that book does he say, just be in right, out right, upright, downright, happy all the time. He doesn't say that. 
Instead, he's willing enough to say, things aren't always going to be perfect. In fact, did you read the verses we read a few minutes ago in our Scripture reading? Did you notice he explicitly stated some of the negative things they had gone and were going through? When it goes on in Hebrews chapter 10, where does the writer take them? Or the speaker take them? He takes them back to Habakkuk. If you don't mind, I don't like to reread the Scripture reading, but I want to do that this morning. In Hebrews 10, I want you to start reading with me in verse 32. But recall excuse me, the former days when after you were enlightened, basically when you became Christians, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle of sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those so treated. In other words, you were made fun of. You were shunned publicly for your faith. For you had compassion on those in prison, seemingly the brothers and sisters in Christ, but in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you know that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, where is he quote from? Habakkuk chapter 2. Yet a little while, and the one come, uh, the coming one, excuse me, will come and will not delay, but watch it. My righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What is the writer of this book, or the speaker of this sermon, or whatever it is, what is he doing to give them some level of comfort and to bring them joy through what they are going through? Just as things were not externally pleasant back in the days of Habakkuk, when everything seemed to be going against him, but Habakkuk said, because I understand that the righteous continue to live by faith, and I can sing with joy about that, the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember that. He's not saying everything is perfect. He's saying when these things are working against you, the righteous ones continue to live by faith. And implied, God sees that. And by the way, just in case that wasn't enough for them, have you noticed what chapter comes next? The last time I checked, 11 follows 10. And it's the Hall of Faith chapter. Well, yeah, Habakkuk. Have you got any more? Oh yeah, by faith Abel offered, verse 4. By faith Abraham obeyed, verse 8. By faith Moses chose to be mistreated people of God, verse 24 and 25. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down flat, verse 30. And on and on and on and on. I skipped a bunch going through there because you can read the chapter. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, the righteous shall live by faith. And we're not going to shrink back. We're going to keep on walking forward. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, including not just chapter 11, but including Habakkuk in chapter 10, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also run with endurance, uh, or let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And by the way, if you think those folks were enough, looking to Jesus the author and finisher. Some translations have the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him was happy all the time. I, I don't think Hebrews chapter 12 says that, does it? Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such affliction from sinners and hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Chapter 12, verses 1-3. through Are you hearing this sermon to these struggling Christians? Externally, things are not going well. And the book of Hebrews never says they are. It admits things are not wonderful. But it says you can continue to live by faith and God sees that. And then as the book closes, just like Habakkuk ended his little book and says, I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to sing about it. How does the book of Hebrews end? Chapter 13 and verse 15. One of the commands going out in that book, through Him, that is Christ, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. What's the Hebrews writer trying to say? What's the point that we're trying to make? These Christians had external circumstances all around them that were hard and they were difficult and they were going against Him. But the writer just says, you keep living by faith. God sees that. That brings you joy and you keep singing with joy every day because the righteous live by faith so we've traveled back in time we've seen a prophet whose name we can't pronounce we've come forward a few centuries and seen some early Christians but it's time to get back to where we are the question becomes what have we learned what's the point of this little journey who cares about what was going on 2,600 years ago and 2,000 years ago. What's this journey meant to us? Think back of what we saw in the days of Habakkuk and ask yourself, does that remind you of the time in which we live? We already said there's nothing new under the sun. So obviously that's a rhetorical question. Habakkuk saw that there were people who were not doing what was right and he saw that there were people who were threatening the people who were doing right. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? It does to me. Now, I don't know if we face any direct threat right here in Haleyville, Alabama on on our faith. I I don't know that. That's not for me to know. But are there people out in the world who cannot stand what we do? Absolutely. There's no way we can miss that. That there are people who cannot stand that we would come in together and and, and love God and sing, do acts of devotion to God and, and, and love one another and point to the people who can't stand that. And there are people who would threaten to, to stop that in various ways, some through military action, some, some through other ways, but there are some who absolutely cannot stand what we are doing. But then also, don't just think of the macro. Think of your daily life. Think of the micro. Do you have people who pull at you constantly to leave your faith because you hold so strongly to it? Do you have people who you go to school with or who you work with, or who are in your family, or who live down the street, who even make fun of you because of how strongly you hold on to your faith. When you go on those business trips and you won't take in certain activities, be involved in certain activities, and your reason is, I'm a Christian, and you get made fun of for that, it gets old after a while. When you're in school and you won't take part in certain things, and your reason is, it's just because I'm trying to do what's right. It gets old fighting after a while. 
And after some time, it begins to pull away at our joy. It begins to to seek to rob us of our joy. And maybe some of you, even every Sunday morning, when you leave your house to come to church, maybe someone in your own house who makes fun of you for leaving your house to come here because they, they can't believe you would do that every single week. And it just gets old. And those macro things and those micro things seek to rob us of our joy. What have we learned from our little trip? In reality, we've learned two things. One, The righteous shall live by faith. And God sees that. And God knows it. No matter what is going on externally in the world, no matter what is going on externally in our lives, God knows every faithful action you make. Be steadfast. Immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Every time it seems as if the world is crumbling and you make a decision to remain faithful, God knows that decision. God knows that it was not easy for you to walk through that time. God knows it was not easy for you to step out in faith. God knows that sometimes you question, I can't figure out why all of this bad stuff is going on, but I'm going to keep on walking by faith. God knows that. The righteous shall live by faith. We've also learned that no matter their external circumstances, God's faithful sing with joy. It fills our praise. It puts wind in our sails. Because we understand no matter what might be going on in the world, our God is still in control. We understand no matter what might be going on in my life, I can still utter my praises to God because He sees and He knows and He cares. When a body of believers like we are today come together and we look around and we see, I'm not the only one fighting this fight. I'm not the only one who has difficulties. I look across and I see this person who I know has negative things in his life or her life, and yet here they are, they're remaining faithful. That puts wind in my sails. That helps me see that I'm not fighting this alone. And it helps me come together. And how could I possibly then lack joy when I sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of His Spirit. Washed in His blood. When I come together and I see someone who I know isn't feeling well, but here they are. And I see someone who's just had a surgery or gone through a difficulty, and yet they show up and they're at least present and they're trying to worship. They're there as much as they possibly can. How could I possibly then lifelessly sing, Great is Thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, Thy hand hath provided. Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Or when I realize that God knows that I've had a difficult week. God knows that I've had to make some difficult decisions. God knows that I've had to work through some difficult relationships. God knows that I've had to go through people making fun or people shunning because of my faith. And it makes me long for something better. How could I ever lifelessly sing, Lord, 
lift me up. And let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. How can we do that? How can we do that? When everything around us seems to be going against the faithful. How can we do that? When you turn on the news and it's all bad news. How can we do that? When people I work with, people I go to school with, people on my street, even people in my own family, do not like that I'm a Christian. Do not like that I order my life by what the Bible says. How can I possibly do that? The righteous shall live by faith. God knows that. And I will rejoice in the Lord. I don't know all that an early worship service looked like. I know they sang and prayed and ate the Lord's Supper and gave and studied the Bible just like we do. But as far as how they sat or exactly what styles were in clothing-wise or even what time of day they met, I'm not 100% sure across the board. They probably met at night after work. But we don't know those kinds of things. But I do know this. There's another passage in that book of Hebrews that I want to consider as we close. It's the church attendance verse. It's the verse about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I'm not changing subjects. I'm staying on subject. Because do you remember those early Christians were going through some times where people were shunning them, making fun of them, seeking to rob them of their joy? And then whether it was before daybreak on Sunday morning, or middle of the day, or after sundown, or whenever it was on Sunday, that little group came together. And there's Bob. He's walking by faith. There's Sally. She's walking by faith. Don't you know that then when someone stood up, or sat on a pew, or sat in a chair, or sat on the ground, and said, does anybody have a song they'd like to sing? That simply because Bob and Sally were there, that with all the joy they had, they sang words just like we sing. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And notice the faith and joy. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where's your joy? Rejoice in the Lord. If you're not in Him this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage.